0: I'm very excited here today to have our first episode with our first guest. He is an aspiring artist, a creative consultant. He's actually taking classes at Google as a student with UIUX and he's also attending um, Northwestern University next month. He is starting his own clothing line. He's starting a nonprofit education uh, nonprofit educating Brown, and black people on financial literacy he is truly one of the most contagious most positive person that I know he has this endless supply of energy he is smooth with the ladies and he's also my best friend a brief note on his work so, through his use of bold color palettes meticulous details iconic symbols Christopher mcafee displays technical rigor while provoking questions about the allure of consumerism consumerism that permeates our lives let's welcome mr christopher mcafee
1: oh brother that was that was beautiful that was amazing thank you for the intro man that was uh that was that was oh yo i'm i'm so happy to be here um extremely honored to be here especially on your first one um and uh yeah brother you know i i couldn't imagine this with a better person we, we we have a beautiful long-lasting relationship you know so uh i think this is just it's going to be a, a beautiful conversation like we always have Let's wonderful
0: wonderful um as some of you might know, Chris has actually a very unconventional route to making art he is he doesn't take anything, therefore he doesn't take anything for granted. um Can you perhaps talk walk us through like your upbringing? you know I know you grew up like from the hood you know south side of Chicago, you went through poverty, you went through like drug trade, you went through like gang fights, all that bad stuff, and now you're like you you just graduated from Yale and having like a wonderful very exciting career ahead of you so can you walk us through um, that that route from like coming from the hood to like an artist now could
1: yeah <laughs> yeah for sure, for sure. Let's just, yeah, let me yeah. just 100. add
0: add one more thing it's like the Go reason ahead. i appreciate it so much is that most of our students from saic or from Yale, they they take they take this for granted because they go through this conventional route. Their parents are probably doing art; they were they received art as education when they were fairly young, and they had they were given the opportunity on the silver silver platter. And, but you were not, so I just 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 thought that I might need to add that part. Um,
1: yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a great point to make, you know, I think that's, that's essentially the foundation of even your question, right. Of like, you know, how, how does one to some degree, you know, go against the odds in that way, in the way I did. Um, And, and, you know, how do I go from there to here? Um, I mean, I think, man, to really, to really start, you know, to really kind of begin it, it, I would have to say I was blessed to have a foundation where I had, I didn't have both my parents. I grew up in a in a single parent household, first and foremost, with just my mother and my father long gone. And um, I had her, you know, I had my mother, I had somebody who was giving me a foundation and gave me enough, uh, love and support in ways that I, I felt supported to go back to wherever I wanted. But also, um, you know, my mother, me and my mother always say we, we grew up together. You know what I mean? So she had me, she was fairly young. So we both really enjoyed our freedom. And I think through that freedom, I gained a sense of, Adventure in a sense of curiosity, and I gained a sense of being able to have space uh space and time to discover who I am and what i I am and what I want to do and what I want to do with my life and so I had a lot of freedom growing up in that way uh you know there's times we didn't have much financially, but I always felt love I was always uh Protected, and I was. I I always had somewhat of a foundation there, so I think that really helped me take it to where I am today. But, um, but yeah, brother, like you know, to to really answer your question though, born in in California, San Diego, um, and was there with me, my mother, father, uh, father was in the Navy, so that's how we got out to San Diego. Uh, but by the age of three, they divorced, um, and my mother ended up moving back to Chicago, which is where my mother and father met. At they were both from Chicago, and we moved back. And pretty much since then, I've I spent the vast majority of my time in Chicago South Side. Uh, grew up in like the Hyde Park area, but I grew up all over Chicago. I grew up off of like 111th Street. I grew up off of 79th and 77th and Inglewood, and uh, Hyde Park and Pullman area, and, and I mean, uh, Bronzeville. Now I'm, I'm like a little bit more north. Uh, so, you know, spent a good chunk of my life here in Chicago. Uh, and then kind of from there, as a, even a young child, I started exploring art, but it was more so through like the lens of just creativity. So if I, my school, my teacher would give me a project, um, I was usually that one student in the class that really took that project super seriously. You know, I really spent time and energy and focus on this creative project. So when I really look back on it in hindsight, um, you know, it it makes sense. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, I I see where the the beginning of this this took place. Um, But from then on, you know, kind of, it gradually grew into uh, essentially what it is today. But um, but yeah, so that's like my long, quick answer, but I'm ready for you to yeah. so, interject or, you know.
0: Yeah. You know, when people think about like why you don't take this for granted, they think about like how the tough upbringing, right? So now I hear it. Mm-hmm. It's not just that. It's the genuine curiosity that your mom really you know, took care of. It's that fire that kept kept youth uh going. It's not really mm-hmm. much about I mean that that part is very important too, but it's a lot that you, your real passion just come that comes through. So I'm I'm curious of um, you know, like how like when was because you have, you know, such a long story and you know, you, you started um college when you're like in the late twenties, like art college. And you did like medicine before that, right? Like pre-med. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. So I'm curious, like, what was the point where you feel like, okay, I'm going to invest money, which I don't really have, mm-hmm. into art school, which is very expensive, in order for me mm-hmm. to really pursue this? When was the point you feel like, you know, I don't, you know, all that, all that noise, all that people tell, telling me what to do, I don't want to hear that, I just want to do art. What was the moment or a period of time that really um, inspired you to do that?
1: man great question um you know there's so many different chapters right there's so many different layers that i think that in my childhood it could have been these projects from school in my teenage years it could have been the era and when i got into graffiti really heavy and like murals you know so for my teenage years that was my main outlet and expression form of expression was graffiti but then in my adult years um you know for me i think it was in my early 20s before our school of course where i had the opportunity to essentially live and visit uh paris france and for me that was a very life-changing moment for me that was a you know and and for most people, right? Of course, especially for you know young people, um, and it it really I think before that moment, you know, before that moment, I didn't have the confidence to even call myself an artist, you know, because coming from graffiti, coming from that world, that term artist can be looked at as like a sellout, mm-hmm. you know, like you're looked at as something. You're no longer a tagger. You're no, no longer a bomber. You're no longer this. You're an artist. So I came up in that culture where it was almost toxic to even say you're an artist. Nowadays, it's a little different. Nowadays, you get a lot of mixture between graffiti and, and gallery art. and so. But, um, you know, when this started for me 10 years ago, In that way, um, I think it wasn't until I went out there and and I remember remember going out there and people were introducing me as the American artist. Like, oh, this is the American artist from Chicago. And it happened so much so often that I got, I don't want to say I got accustomed to it, but it just, it started sounding, I started accepting it more and more. So I literally, brother, I had to go to the other side of the world, damn near, right, almost, and and to gain a sense of confidence in myself. That's why I really understand that when I see so many artists out here and they they lack that confidence, they lack that confidence in themselves, I understand truly how that feels, you know, because I had to have an extraordinary experience in my life to gain that confidence and to kind of afford myself that uh, ability to, like you said, kind of get to a point where you're like, okay, I don't have much, But whatever I do have, I'm going to invest it all into this. So, yeah, so I think for me, it was was that trip. It was going out there, being out there as much as I was, um, seeing that level, that high level of creativity, of art, of design, of sculpture, of history. I think it really... uh, You know, it it really pointed me in the right direction. And after that, once I came back permanently is when I essentially, like, the very same year uh, was my first semester at SAIC.
0: Yeah, after Paris, just all hell broke loose.
1: (laughs) Pretty pretty much, man.
0: (laughs) You know, the way that I really love about you is that when you talk about, like, your upbringing, about your pursuit of, you know, art... The way you talk about, it, you don't really focus on the negatives or the obstacles. You focus on like what you got from your mom, what you got from the community, like the opportunity that you had in Paris. You don't talk about like the discrimination. You don't talk about like the poverty. And that's you know the outlook that I really appreciate about you. And every conversation about with you, and that that's yeah, and that kind of just what you, how you just answered that kind of just encapsules, um, you know my appreciation of you um but after right after you uh, so it's so you went to so you decided to go to um, saic um Mm -hmm. pretty much after you were in paris Mm -hmm. so did you have did you still have doubts about yourself making it or like uh still having like a plan b like what if this doesn't work out financially i might just have to cop out
1: so so at that time i wasn't fully invested in the idea of first of all I wasn't fully invested in the idea of school period like I dropped out when I was taking those science classes and essentially pre-med classes I dropped out uh, when I was around 2021 20, so when I went back to school it was essentially four or five years later but that prior to that moment prior to Paris I really felt for a number of years in my early 20s that I was never going to get a college degree like, ever. And I accepted that, and I was okay with that. I was like, you know what? School's not for me. That's fine. You know, I'll find another way. So, you know, keep that in mind, right, in comparison to that thought process, in comparison to where I am now, so you could truly begin to understand how much of, like, even to me, how much of an anomaly and a glitch in the matrix this is. You know, I'm still trying to understand it myself, but, um... But yeah, yeah, I, I, as far as the confidence goes, brother, oh no, I, I was, I definitely didn't have the confidence. Um, I I didn't have the, and, and not the confidence in myself, but I didn't have the confidence in the institution. You know, I, my whole thing with SCIC was very, uh, <laughs> like brother, when I tell you that I didn't know the magnitude of SCIC until I got in. Like, I had no idea it was one of the leading art schools in the country, in the world, and I had no clue. And I know it sounds crazy for me to say this, but I literally, I remember going into Blick, the art store in downtown Chicago, and I remember seeing the SAIC shirts, and I remember looking, and I was like, what is that? What does that even mean? Like, I didn't even know what the, you know what I mean? Like, I had no idea. So, it was so far removed, bro, like... How I even got in tune with SCIC, I did a Google search, bro. I did a Google search, and I typed in, like, best art schools in the world, in the country, in Chicago. And, of course, you know, SCIC was at the top of that list. Um, and I reached out to an, my old high school art teacher who always believed in me, probably the first man to really believe in me. He used to take my artwork, my graffiti, and send it in for uh, state championships and drawing. And I would get these gold and silver medals in the mail and they were for art and I had like I had no idea what they were for you know he was just doing it because he was like yo your stuff is so amazing." so he would take my sketchbook and scan it and send it out and I would just get these random medals in the mail for wow. art so once again right a pretty crazy part of my story but I contacted him not only did he know somebody at that school but he graduated from that school so he was very connected so you know point of this is you know everybody who's listening use your network use your network reach out to people ask people cuz you never know you got to use your network you got to use your resources that you have available to you you know and i did exactly that and you know, long story short, I got in twenty thirteen, was my first semester at SEIC. And brother, when I tell you after my first semester, I owed SEIC five thousand dollars. And this was after a grant and this was after loans. I still owed them five grand. And this is after my first semester. And I loved it. I enjoyed myself, but All I had at the time in my savings was five grand. And at that time, I was in the streets. You know, I didn't have a job. I had just been in the streets constantly, in and out. And I haven't had a job in probably, I don't even know, like five or six years. So, you know, so because my money was great, but it wasn't guaranteed and, you know, other factors, I wasn't so invested to give them that full five grand. So, you know what I did? I dropped out. I dropped out in 2013 after one semester, and I said, you know what? It's okay. It's fine. I'm going to get a job, and I'm going to pay off this debt. And first semester went by, couldn't find a job, and didn't pay off the debt. Second semester went by, couldn't find a job, couldn't pay off the debt. By the time the third semester came, bro, I had been out of school for a year and a half. By the time the third semester came, I, part of me had given up. And I said, you know what? hey, you know what, maybe this wasn't my path, you know? And I ended up, luckily enough, I ended up finding a stable job and who, ironically enough, I interviewed for prior to Paris. Prior to Paris, I interviewed for the same job and couldn't take it because of Paris. So by the time I came back, luckily, not only were they still there, but at this time, they were like a multi-million dollar company. So they ended up hiring me and I paid off the debt, and I remember after being out of school at SAC for a year and a half, I came back in 2015, and I remember being in class, and I remember the teacher turned off the lights and showed the video, and I remember being in class crying, like crying in class, shedding tears, like real tears, because I was so proud of myself for not only just getting into this school, but also maintaining that. Like I had I, I had asked so many people to help me pay that money. And everybody I went to said no, you know, and, and my mentors, family, you know what I mean? And so I was so proud of myself that I was just balling in class one day. And I really sat back and I was like, yo, I really did this. You know, I got myself in here. I'm paying it myself. Nobody's paying this for me. Um and then man, brother, when I tell you every semester after that, I said I was going to drop out because of money finances. You know, every single semester, brother, I was like, "Yo, this is it. I'm about to. I'm about to take some time off, stack up." And but for whatever reason, every semester I found a way to go back to go back. In fact, I even found a little loophole where, like, if you keep a thousand dollars or under in your debt, then you can you can register for school the next semester. <laughs> so if I owed them 3000 I would give them 2000 on purpose just because I knew that it gave me the, enough to register for the semester wow. the, next, the next go around. So, you know, it's just, you got to be very resourceful, man, and very strategic and like, you know, you, you really got to want it in that way and by any means necessary. Uh, so to answer your like I said, go back to your question, man. No, I... I didn't always have it and you know me telling that story hopefully is a good example of like what I meant by me not always it not being like a perfect scenario
0: right because I had I had no idea of any of this I know you we got to (laughs) know each other around 2016 a year after Mm -hmm. um, you got back Mm -hmm. and I I know like Mm -hmm. a little bit about you dropping out but I had no idea it was this tough I I didn't know it was because of financials (laughs) it's almost as if we went to different schools but man, do, do, do you think it was all worth it now looking back? It definitely was, right? Or part of you <laughs> wish you, you went to a community college, you probably still would have made it. Do you, do you think this pain, this dropping out back and forth w- was worth it?
1: You know, um, I'm, I am a believer in everything having a rhyme and a reason. You know, I am. I am a believer that that you don't fully enjoy the sunshine unless you've gone through the shade. Um, and I do believe that maybe partly, yeah, for sure, partly a, a reason why I hyper focus on gratitude and positivity, like you were saying before, when I tell these stories is because um, I. I'm now in a position where I can see and understand why my path was so uh, filled with so much struggle. There's a line. My, my very my favorite MC rapper of all time is Nas, and he has a line in one of his Same. songs. Oh, I he's actually that. my favorite. That. That. Yeah, that's dope.
0: Yeah, oh, I, I love Nas so much. I just listened to him today. I love him so much. He's my favorite rapper right now.
1: Well, you know what? We're going we're gonna to try to get him on here. You yeah. know what I mean? He's going to hear this and, and be like, all right. Um, but look, so he has a line on this song on his album, Stillmatic. It's a song called uh, You're the Man. Right at the end of the song, he goes, you know, now I understand why I had so many trials and tribulations in my path. You know, now I get it because now I sit on a throne. And in no way am I saying, you know, I'm a king of that nature of, you know, speaking from ego, but we all sit on our own thrones, right? Like I sit on mine, you sit on yours. Like we all should have that mentality of being worthy of having whatever you want in life. Um, and like I said, I think about that line and so, you know, I, I really I do, I do sit back and think about it and think about how blessed and how grateful and how extraordinary that my story is because there's people and once again brother I didn't know this until afterwards but there's so many conversations I had with people where they were they said that they had wished they had gone to that school they said from from grammar school through high school they aimed to go to that school they did the summer program they talked to the admissions they did all these things to get into this school and didn't get in. And here I am on a whim sending an application to a school that I don't even fully know the history of. I just did a Google search, and it came up, and I was like, hmm, okay, downtown, nice amenities, new building, right next to Connected to the Art Institute. I had no idea, brother, that it was that sought-after of an institution Um, so, you know, once I got out, it it definitely helped me with this sense of gratitude that I have now. And then to go from there to where I went for grad school, um, I do believe, and I've said this always, that I feel like my undergrad played a huge role in me even getting accepted to grad school. Yeah, for
0: sure. But do do you think... mm, would would it be worth it for people to sacrifice what they have to pursue SCIC? What, what, what would your advice be for someone who's, um, who's in in that position, who who just who don't really have the luxury of going to what whichever school they have? Do you think it's the right school for them to pursue fine art, spending all that money, all that time? I mean, even for people who's privileged enough to be there and spending all just all the time and all you know the best mm-hmm. years of your life basically in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in at acic do you think it's worth it or uh, any art school in general
1: mm. man brother i look whew, yo i used to be so anti art school that's also the other thing if you look back on my social media i talked a lot of, a lot of negativity about art schools <laughs> i get that so You feel me? Like and anybody who knows me, they they know. But I I man, I was not a fan of it. I didn't understand it. I'm like, you can't you can't make an artist in a school, Mm -hmm. you know, and I still do believe that. But I do also now with the amount of extreme amount of experience I have, I do believe that you can cultivate it and you can focus and you can help narrate it. You can help direct you know, give it direction, you can give it help give it a foundation. And, you know, I feel like for me, that's what art school gave me. It gave me a foundation. It gave me insight on the history. You know, if I had to take any class over and over again, uh, at SCIC outside of painting, it was art history. I had to take six art history classes Same. and a number of, Oh my God. Mm. And a number of art history classes, even in grad school. So, you know, uh, even when I didn't want to, right, you know, you have to, and I think I'm always, always very grateful for those classes, in those classes, I learned the most, you know, I learned what this history is, what this uh, pantheon means, and the lexicon of different artists, and mediums, and and eras, and, you know, like, it's, a, it's very deep, right, you know, this is human history we're talking about, um, along with geography, and uh, you know biology, and you know you can tap into so many different you know ways of thinking, philosophy, right? And um, so I think I say this, and this will be my answer, brother. This is my answer to you. I, I tell this to everybody. If it makes sense to you, you know, if it makes sense to you, if it if this is something that you can without a doubt come to an understanding and an agreement with with yourself then I think that is definitely something to listen to. But speaking from my experience, right, speaking from my very own, very personal experience, I would only tell the person to pursue that if they are, and I hate to say this, but if they are very serious about art, you know, and, and not just serious about it, but serious about making a career off of it. I've always looked at art as art school as that. As something to help me build my professional portfolio because, as we all know, you can be an artist and a successful artist and not have anything to do with art school. The vast majority of successful artists out here, to some degree, within certain arenas, never went to art school at all. You know what I mean? So, you know, but I knew in regards to the arena that I wanted to be in, right? Me wanting to be in a certain arena... I did enough research to see what it took in order for me to get into that arena. And that's why for me, art um, school made so much sense because I was ready to take it very serious, you know? So I would, yeah, so I, like I said, I'll tell anybody, like, you know, if you really want to make a career out, of it, if you see it as long-term things like that, then then yeah, for sure, you can, it could be extremely beneficial Um, But if this is just something that you're exploring and you're just doing for fun, for hobby, things like that, then, you know, I'll say, no, invest that money into research, invest that money into materials, invest that money into a studio space um, and network and meet the right people, shake the right hands, be at the right openings. And you can still make your art career happen.
0: Beautiful. And that's actually a great point for me to actually carry us to the ne- next question. Um you went to uh Yale right after SAIC. Um for for, for for those who I haven't clarified to, uh Chris and I we went to the same school for undergrad. Uh I we both we met and uh we met at SAIC in a painting classroom. And we were just late at night, just uh just kind of this uh it was very natural it was not like trying to approach to anyone it was just like the conversation kind of just it was just always up there and so natural yeah, yeah it was sure. and you were making those geoma- uh, geometrical works uh that were uh <laughs> that were inspired by platonic um solids and mm-hmm. the the i i remember you telling me like how this Platonic solids is connected to like the elements of earth, elements of life, and how we are mm-hmm. all connected to these elements. So mm-hmm. when you look at the work, they're not just—I mean—they're beautiful. They're handcrafted. They're amazing. And they're not just beautiful. They, you feel this connection to to the mm-hmm. earth, despite them being made with synthetic paint, and that's actually mm-hmm. a, a fair, fairly interesting. A juxtaposition there um, but you know I, I don't want to digress too much um, can, yeah I'm, I'm, I mean you got into Yale after I mean, I'm really jealous because I, I yeah a lot of people that I <laughs> most people that I know in fact got rejected including myself and and can, can you can you uh, maybe bring us uh, through like a little bit about you know the difference between you know everyone's curious of this like art school and you know top university uh programs and you know how mm-hmm. perhaps uh Yale took you to uh to took you to like another um you know brought the best out of you or um the influence the, the biggest influence it had on you. I mean yeah, apart sure. from you know Yale being just
1: Yale. Yeah facts. Yeah. facts. <laughs> well I I'll what I'll do is, you know, since we we all talk about my background and you know I want to give people a full three hundred and sixty viewpoint of you know the experience, right, um, from beginning to end. So you know we'll, we'll uh, make a long story short, but essentially the beginning of that process, like you said, took place right after SESC. I actually uh, graduated uh, at SCST in twenty nineteen, as you know, because you was at the graduation. So we was we was at the graduation <laughs> together and um blonde hair oh man i had the craziest blonde hair i look back on those photos like what in the world was i thinking (laughs) i think it's fine but
0: yeah you pulled it off definitely
1: fine yeah yeah i mean you know it it it, it was it was it didn't look horrible it didn't look horrible but uh i just i would do it so different now but you know that's that's life for you um but yeah, well, graduate 2019, but then actually, bro, I still had one class. I don't know if you remember this, but I still had one class I had to finish at SCIC. I literally had three credits to get, one class. And as you know, bro, as you may know, SEIC is notorious for not letting people take their last credits in another school, like at a community college or anything like that. They're like, I've, I've talked to a number of people, and they're like, man, all I, all I need is a credit or credit and a half or two credits and S C S C would make them take another course. So for me, I didn't want to do that once again because I'm, you know, I'm trying to be so financially uh, smart about the situation, I told them, I said, look, if I have to take a class here, it's gonna cost me four grand. If I take it a community college, it's gonna cost me four hundred. I said, if you force me to take this class, it's going to stop me from going to grad school. Because I'm going to have to be so concerned then about paying this four grand. And I remember telling them that. And mind you, I still didn't know if I was going to go to grad school or not. I really was just saying this to be like, hey, just in case I want to do this, you all will stop that because of this. And brother, I I said that to him. I wrote him a letter and I waited some weeks and they wrote me back and they said, hey, you could take your last class at Harold Washington. No, no, at a community college. And I was so thrilled because I'm like, okay, remember. wow, like okay, because you I feel remember. me? But yeah. so, so I ended up taking the community college, at a school by my home. Uh, oh my god, I think Marine Valley, I think it's called, and was there for taking a class. You know, that was my that was going into 2020, and then my thought process was, you know, I'm gonna finish this class, be done with SEIC. but I'm still. Uh, fill out the applications for grad school, um, which I did back in December of 20, um, 2019. But I talked to them and they was like, hey, as long as by the time you start, you have all your credits, you're fine. So I was taking the class community college um, and I ended up, you know, I applied to five schools. You know, I applied to five schools. I applied to uh, Northwestern here in Chicago because they guarantee everybody gets free tuition. So, um, I applied to Cal Arts. I applied to UCLA. Um, where else? RISD, and then of course Yale. And um, so I, I filled out all those applications. I probably paid about somewhere close to like a thousand dollars just in application fees. Like it was one of the most expensive <laughs> before I even got accepted to the school. Right? I was already spending money, and I applied. And then, this is in December 2019, so then about February, um, I started hearing back from grad schools, and actually, Yale was the first to reach out, and they were the first to be like, you know, hey, we want to have an interview with you. And I was like, okay, great. And they were like, but it's an in-person interview. Mind you, I still live in Chicago. Yale is in New Haven, Connecticut, which is about 1,000 miles away from Chicago. So... I was like, oh, my God, like, I don't know how I'm going to do this because um, at the time I didn't even have a license. And so I was like, you know, I don't know. I I, you know, I don't want to take my artwork on a plane because it's the have some artwork, I'm going to go crazy. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to trust anybody else with my work. So I knew I was going to want to drive. Um, so I ended up talking to a friend of mine and she ended up agreeing to, like, get the car for me, get the truck. And we drove from chicago to connecticut uh 18 hours 18 hours but mind you before this the second people that hit me up was Rizzi, and Rizzi said hey we also want an in-person studio visit or in-person visit from you but they tried to schedule me a week after yale i said hey look this is what's going on i'm driving up to yale um i'll be up there can we move my my interview up and they agreed. And they moved my interview up a whole week uh, just so that I can have my interview with them. So I we drove up there 18 hours, got to Yale, uh, had the interview, felt like I bombed it. You know what I mean? Felt like I did a horrible job. I was so nervous. Like My very first grad school interview in my life is not only with my number one choice, but it's with Yale. You know, so I was just, I was so nervous. You know what I mean? I, I played it off well, but I was super nervous to the point where I got back in the car and my friend asked me, she said, yo, how did it go? I said, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> I was like, I don't even want to talk about it. After like, 18 I hour a drive. It. After 18 hour, And mind you, I went straight from the, the car ride to the interview. We made it like 30 minutes, you know, and I don't think I slept a second on that 18 hour journey. So because I did my adrenaline was just running, you know, and um, so we did that. But this is the kicker, right? Right after I had my interview at Yale, I had to drive two hours up to Rhode Island to have my interview at RISD. Wow. So I had my interview at Yale and my interview at RISD on the same day. So we get up to RISD, right, two hours. And when we get there, we park, and the elevators broke. So they're having an the interview at a higher level. The elevators broke. So all the professors from the graduate program come downstairs and proceed to help me bring my paintings up the stairs in the building. So I'm here at RISD for all of 10 minutes and already have, like, pretty much the whole art department carrying my paintings for me, you know, like up to this interview. Kind of mind-blowing. And uh, we do the interview, which I felt went much better. And um, so anyway, get that gets done. I get back to Chicago. And then I hear from Arts. I hear from UCLA. I get rejected from Northwestern. Northwestern was the only one that rejected <laughs> me, oddly enough. But um, right before me and Arts and UCLA could schedule a date, COVID hit. And, you know, once COVID hit, just everything, of course, right, shut down, and I didn't hear back from those schools, which was heartbreaking because, you know, California is home. You know, that's my first home. That's where I want to be. That's where I will be. That's where I plan on, you know, uh, living my life. So that would have been an easy go to. But, um, you know, anyway, that happened. And, you know, so at that point, it was pretty much between RISD and Yale, which I would have been happy. Right. With either or, you know, two very highly acclaimed schools, art schools. And... um Part of me felt like I was going to get into RISD, not get into Yale. I was perfectly fine with that. Uh, and then I remember uh, getting a email from Yale. Uh, I think it was like March, early March. And uh, I had got my acceptance letter. And uh, I was over at a friend's house at the time and they weren't there. So I was just there by myself. Um, and I remember, oh man, just like immediately breaking down, you know, just like, just, just, I just lost it, you know, like I, I, here I am, you know, about to go to an Ivy League school for a master's degree. And, uh, you know, 10 years ago, at that, at that exact same time, 10 years ago, I had made up in my mind that I would never get a college degree. And I was, you know, fine with that. So it was such a stretch of my imagination that uh, I went through a pretty severe case of um, survival remorse. and But also went through a case of uh, imposter syndrome. And that's something that I've dealt with my entire two years there, unfortunately. Um, and it definitely led to some not so good days and not so good moments uh with myself with faculty (laughs) you know but um it was just you know it was part of the plan it was part of the agenda the process and uh you know made it through it but yeah yeah that that is the essentially the the long story of how that process went and first person I called was my mother of course you know told her and of course she starts crying and all that good stuff man so uh so yeah you know that was that was the beginning of it all. But let me add this before before I go to the next question. For me, I needed not one miracle. I needed two. I needed one miracle to get into the school. I needed a second miracle to be able to afford the school. And so for me, that was my worst nightmare. My worst nightmare was not not getting accepted to any of the schools. My worst nightmare was getting accepted to the schools and not being able to afford the school. Mm. So what I did was for me, and this is what I would suggest for anybody, anybody out there who doesn't have it like that and they need some financial help, which is all of us, right? I wrote them a letter. I wrote them a personal handwritten letter and I expressed to them my situation. And I told them, look, I don't come from much. This is what I have. This is who I am. I'm resilient. I worked hard. You know, I, I really gave them me a, a very vulnerable side of me. Um and lucky enough they took that, they took that into consideration. Um and they gave me a full tuition scholarship. Wow. So and I, they didn't tell me. They gave it to me. They just sent me my bill. And my bill was like, or well, they sent me the tuition. And it was like, and they were kind of, it was funny because they were like $100 off of it being the full thing. So I was kind of confused. I'm like, wait a minute. So am I, you know, and um, yeah, so I ended up getting uh, on top of everything else, getting a full ride.
0: Wow. Beautiful. Although that really, crazy, that, although that doesn't, answer my question but I enjoyed the hell out of it
1: <laughs> what's your question tell me your question to get
0: out how the education at Yale took your work to like the next level
1: uh, like in what ways yeah, did yeah. it help you yeah you know what meant to be honest it, it put me more in a professional mind state for sure 1000% it, it made me and, and this is the thing it, it was partly the name it was partly the school it was partly the degree and it was also partly just me coming to another uh form of myself that was more confident, that had more confidence, whether it was because of the degree, the school, me now having SEIc under my belt. So I think it was it was a combination of a few factors that that definitely helped me uh, you know, see my career in a way that I was never afforded to see it before. Mm. You know, like, I remember asking a teacher at SCIC, he actually wrote me one of my recommendations for Yale, uh, Stephen Hicksby, um, hope I'm saying your last name right, brother, but um, he he wrote me a letter, of recommendation, but I remember him telling, I, I was telling him in class one day, I was like, yo, you know, I'm thinking about grad school, and he was like, where? And I told him, and, and I told him Yale, and I remember him telling me, he said, man, that's He said, "Yo, that's the Willy Wonka golden ticket." He said, "You get that Willy Wonka golden ticket, you know, um, you know, you're you're set, you're good, you know." So having a professor tell me that to go and then into that program and that's what it was. uh, I think it definitely afforded me, you know, a sense of confidence in myself, a sense of confidence in my skill, a sense of confidence in like, you know, I've I've been through the trenches at this part. You know, as far as art school goes, like I've done this one and I've done that one. You know, like I have su- I survived it. And that takes so much fortitude, brother. Like, as you know, right, it takes so much resilience. But like, I remember being at SCIC and being so tired because I had to work four shifts the day before that I would leave out the classrooms in my art history. I would leave out the classrooms go to another floor for thirty minutes and take a nap in the middle of class for thirty minutes because I was so tired because I had to work a full time job while I was going to school part time. You know, so so essentially what Yale did for me was it, it it I got also got to a point in my life and in my career where I was able to put a lot of the um the moment the moments of insecurity behind me.
0: Wow, but in, I had I had no idea that you. No wonder that you always took night classes. Yeah, you know, now I think work of it. Okay, exactly. that makes sense now. You're painting like till like one or two a.m., and you wake up early, get your job, catch your job, and then. Wow, I had no yeah, idea. I thought you was, were just a night. I thought you were just a night person. I, I I had no idea, and I didn't even, I didn't feel like I needed to ask because of the energy that you had. I never felt like you were groggy or you're just tired or exhausted i just mm-hmm. never saw that side of you um but in terms of like you know how it took your work to the next level i think we're still mm-hmm. um like but but i think you answered like how like get into a top school like help with your work and your confidence and your approach with work but i'm 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 also kind of curious like the because uh, you went to both art school and university right so how the education mm-hmm. how do they approach um, education differently.
1: Oh man, it, it that's a great question, man. Because yeah, you know, SST is one thousand percent art school. You know, like that is the focal point. That's what it is, and that's partly why I love it, and partly why you love it as well, right? You know, you it's it's such it, it's such a uh, they they galvanize on the topic of creativity. Whereas university, right? You know, something like Yale. Um, they, it's a lot more widespread, you know, in that setting we talked a lot less about quote unquote art history and talked a lot more about philosophy. You know, we talked a lot more about uh, critical theory, you know, critical race theory, uh, social classes and, you know, gender biasness and uh, you know, we, we really dove into to some degree, the human psyche, you know, and, and our history uh, as a as a people, as a creative people, as a people of artists, you know, as a people of thinkers, you know, we, we really dug deep into that. So I would say that was probably one of the most noticeable differences between the two. Whereas you know, and granted, also too, right? This is a grad school comparison to an undergrad, so there's also you know room for growth. In that way, I I it would expect. Right to some degree, for the art school to be a little bit more in depth with you know certain topics. Um, so part of me was expecting that, but uh, you know, I think one thing I didn't expect, I thought it was going to be a super focal point was going to be the art because that was the case at SCSC, right? Like, it was like the art, you know, like what are you producing, how quickly are you producing it, why are you producing it, and at Yale specifically um oh man it was not about the art you know it was it was and I think that's where I clashed with a lot of professors because I was so focused on the art I was so focused on like the painting and the output and the you know the product um and they were a lot more like experiment you know and do different things and try different things and which I understand you know I, I understand the value in that Um, But I think I wasn't there for that in a very material way as much as I was there for that in a very uh, kind of like mental way, you know, consciously like thinking, you know, uh, rhetoric and things of that nature. I think I just wanted to be presented with a full spectrum of the art world, not only just from an aesthetic point of view, but also from a psychological point of view um and so you know it's a bit of a, a clash there um but I think yeah I think it, it the difference was definitely the topics that came up and how in depth those topics went in comparison to uh techniques with painting you know or like very specific conversations with artists you know we would have conversations at Yale that many times had nothing to do with visual art like absolutely nothing but it was very much so connected to, once again, the human
0: psyche. So, so, uh, given you know Yale's location and given, um, you know what they talk about, so is it like they're more in an academic bubble than it is in, uh, at SAIC? Did you feel like you were more connected mm. or less connected to the art world, being at Yale? Oh, mm. man, damn, that's it. A-
1: that's an interesting question. Um, I, I mean, it, to be real, I felt like I was more connected to the art world. To, okay, I'll say this. I was more connected to the art world with a capital A. You know, I learned this from one of my professors at SCSC. Maybe you, could, you might be able to help me remember her. But she used to always be like, you know, art with a capital A. Um, and I'm going I'm to look back and find her name. But she was an amazing professor. And then I understood what she meant by that you know, this 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 world where, you know, the art world is the dominant one, you know, it's it's, it's the it's a certain world where art and design uh, makes sense but only within that world, right? So I think when it comes to that aspect of art and art world, I felt more connected because Obviously, this was a school that many people knew of, you know, this was a, many, a school that many people knew the name, knew the history, you know, so I was definitely more connected in that way. But I also ironically saw myself at the same time becoming more and more disconnected with, with the world that is not being considered part of the capital A part could you, you know with the with the go ahead
0: could, could you maybe explain to the viewers or, or rather listeners what what that means art with a capital a
1: yeah absolutely um i mean it essentially just means the professional art world to to essentially break it down it's the art world where finances and investments and monetary gains is a thought process and at times uh a thought process before anything else. you know what I mean? so so that's essentially what I mean by like that that art uh, art with a capital A is essentially a expression of a very serious kind of approach to art. You know, art with a a capital letter, you know, kind of just re- demands a certain amount of like respect and and uh, notoriety in that way. Um, so yeah, so that's that's what I mean by art with a capital A. But but like I said, it's, you know, as as duality goes and as balance goes, once you become more of something, you become less of something else. You know, that's just the way of the world, right? And so I felt more connected to the higher ups, but I felt less connected to those who would never experience this in their lifetime. Right? You know, I felt I felt more connected with the 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 art world at the top and then less connected with individuals and other artists, because I now have this experience that less than, I don't know, 5%, 2% of artists alive have the experience of, you know? So it was, it was a very interesting kind of like give and go in that way.
0: Got you. hmm we touched upon before, like, you know, uh, at, at the beginning of the podcast, we touched a, uh, upon, you know, the, the concept, the, the basic concept of your work, right. Which is basically like provoking mm-hmm. questions at the allure of consumerism, mm-hmm. which is a big part of your work. And, and you mm-hmm. have, um, cause I, I, this is a lot, this is a lot to approach as we were speaking. Chris is drinking from a wine bottle. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's not good for the <laughs> artist stereotype um (laughs) drunken crazy uh
1: Uh, in the studio going crazy yeah he's in the studio right
0: now um doing that while we while we speak it's it's around like it's almost 2 a.m in chicago right Mm,
1: yeah 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 and the night has just begun for me yep um
0: could you maybe talk about like i want to start with like you know um the the aesthetics of the work right and how you approach the aesthetics because i know a big part mm-hmm. of your work is with your hands and mm-hmm. a lot of the cuts you cut on board right like those paper board and you, yeah. you really just hold pr- you whole pride with all the all that process and i i think i even during college i mentioned a couple of times to you like why do you do this you spent <laughs> tens of hours if not hundreds on this little okay. piece of you know this little cut like if you did it on laser it would be like 10 mm-hmm. minutes and it, you would spend a hundred times more on just the process of like can, can you explain why like for me i've i feel like aesthetically as as, is it the process that makes part of the experience more real to you or is it like or is it um the sort of experience you want to tell the viewers or is it both or you know
1: Mm yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah um i mean you know i if that's if it was one thing i would always get asked about art right it's definitely that it's like you know once people didn't find out that all this is handcrafted um there is a moment of a wow factor that I can't, I can't lie and say I, I don't appreciate. You know, I do. I I remember reading somewhere uh, in in this book some years ago, uh, friends of friends or something of that nature, and it was saying how one of the most iconic moments of spiritualism in a human's life is this like awe moment, you know, and they they call it an all moment, right? It's like that moment where you experience something so visceral, you know, that you experience something so like it it just it gives you a reaction. And that's something that I I really appreciate about my work, you know, in that way that it gives that, and especially after they you know understand and, and take notice that it's all done by hand. There is a moment there where I do really enjoy that, but I do often, of course, get asked, and of course, this is my same thing at grad school. You know, everybody's like, well, if you use a laser cutter, um, you know, you'll save a ton of time. And I agree. I agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, um, I'm I'm 100% at a point in my career now where... I've embraced that idea, I've accepted it, you know, and I can totally, one million percent see myself doing that in the future, for sure. So it's not that I'm against it. And I think early, in my early years, especially SESC, I probably was against it just because I was like, okay, you know, I got to, you know, I got to do all this myself and I I had a warped point of view and perspective of art and art history not knowing that so many of the great artists before us like had assistants they had help they had studio assistants they had interns like you know very few of your or almost none of your famous or favorite artists uh did or does everything on their own you know and i had to essentially learn that the hard way um but to answer your question you know well partly to answer your question because i I, I i'm definitely interested in doing laser cuts in the future for sure. Like that's totally something I I'm, I'm looking to get into to streamline the process for sure. Um but one thing that I've discovered in the in the in the moment of making these cutouts, one thing that I've discovered that what it does do for me, and this is on a much kind of like more intuitive internal feeling It gives me a moment of contemplation and meditation. It gives me a moment to genuinely put thought and consideration not only into the physicality of the work, but into the conceptual ideas that are beholden to the work and that is what really drives my essence and my want and need to create these bodies of work it's not the aesthetic you know i love aesthetic you know obviously people look at my work and tell that but for me what gives me the drive and energy to produce these works is the concept behind them and you know the aesthetic is just how i prepare the message it's just how i package the method the message right so the concept for me is very important and it, it carries the entire piece for me in many ways. Uh, but you know, it, it definitely, that part of why I think I spend that time within that craftsmanship is because of that reason. Like I said, it gives me that moment of contemplation and meditation that I can really contemplate the theme and contemplate the concept. And, uh, every piece that I produce, I, I'm putting myself through almost like a boot camp, like a learning boot camp. Because whatever topic I'm choosing, I never know everything about that topic as I'm making the work. Or before, I'm always constantly researching. I'm always constantly learning. Um, I'm always constantly, you know, putting different verbiage and and uh, dates and terminologies and definitions. I'm, I'm always gathering this information and knowledge so that when I present it to the world, not just the, the you know, the gallery and the viewers, but I present my work to the world, it can say so much more than this is just a pretty painting. You know, it can it can say so much more than that. So um so yeah, so I think I I see myself in the future doing both, embracing laser cut and still continue doing some hand cutting. Uh, just because, you know, I, I do love sitting back and looking at, I'm looking at pieces in my studio now, and I love sitting back and, and looking and, and almost being like, wow, I made that. You know, I made that with my own hand. You know, like I made that with, it, it came out, there's a beautiful quote, I think Leonardo da Vinci, where he's like, you know, never pity the humble painter. Whatever he has first in his mind, he could then imagine in his hand. And that's a quote I live with, you know, daily. You know, it's 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 empowering to see something go from your mind to fruition, and to know that your own hands, right, your own actions, your own uh, existence here produce these works. Um, so yeah, it's it's something that I've I've thought about many times, and like I said, I'm gonna do probably a mixture of both in the future for sure.
0: So, so when you talk about like cutting with your own hands, right? So, with the cre- creative process or the pattern itself, does it change along the way, or is it just all uh, pre-planned?
1: Man, brother, great question, man. Really, that's that's that's, that's something I wish people ask me more often, um, because people people automatically assume because of the structure and design, and maybe because I'm getting it from an, an already existing object. People think that it's an exact replica and it's never right. an exact replica. Never, yeah. It's never an exact replica. It, yeah, yeah, right? You know, it, it, it's always, and not only that, but you can never produce, no matter how hard I try, and this is one of the benefits of doing things by hand, right? No matter how hard I try, I can never produce the same painting twice. And that's, you know, that's all of us, right? You know, so... Even when I paint something that's identical, such as the bandanas or, you know, the U.S. flags or, um, you know, the luggage pieces or whatever the case may be, the and Hammer baking soda, the Coke cans. Whenever I make these images, because they're all done by hand, that essentially makes each and every single one of them like a custom one of one, you know, bespoke type of work. And um, that's I think that's also something that I really value in the hand cutting process is that I can then really sit back and see the craftsmanship uh, in that, which was part of what really inspired me to do those uh, luggage pieces, because I wanted to I genuinely wanted to test myself and see how close can I get to that level of craftsmanship with my materials and my resources that I had at my disposal.
0: But with the um, uh, the actual creative creative process, do you change along the way the design?
1: Do I change the design in the creative process,
0: or do you have like um, do you have like all the design already set before you start hand cutting?
1: No, no, the hand of men, you know, um, it, it really a lot of it is freestyle. I know to so a lot of people it doesn't look that way but a lot of it is freestyle you know I, I really develop as I go to be very honest with you so I'll i have a blueprint right I have a plan you know but I think my process in that way is the same as probably all artists right you know we all kind of go into it with an intention and then as we are producing we're just kind of going with the flow you know we're just seeing where where this strike where this stroke leads me and where this you know, peace leads me where this scale leads me where this color leads me. So I think, um, you know, there's a plan, there's a blueprint, but I am, I do and in very intentionally trying to stay very open to the design and the layout as I go about it. Even though once again, I'm sure, you know, from the viewers perspective, it's probably exactly identical. Mm.
0: Cause, uh, you know your your favorite like work of mine is the the work that you have in your uh, you had in your uh, MFA graduation show the Louis Vuitton bags. I'm I'm usually mm-hmm. not like that. So I'm usually you know my <laughs> I, I usually gravitate towards the works that's a bit more low key. But something about mm-hmm. these bags the, the not just the craftsmanship which is quite obvious, um, like the way they're designed their their dimensions they're they're very intentional and they're like you could tell it's slightly off like a real actual luggage and that kind of that that gives you a feeling of just a weariness of a feeling of uncanny a feeling of just you know you, you want to like figure out the story but uh, i mean in it and i feel like if you have it pre-designed because when you design it right it's very very difficult uh, to see the actual scale to feel the actual um, the energy of the work through the computer screen and having that like mm-hmm. handcrafted, I think that gives a lot of mm-hmm. nuances, a lot of just you know emotional nuances into the work. Absolutely. And absolutely. Yeah. And speaking of you know the concept of your work, right? I want to ask mm-hmm. you like why uh, you gravitate towards uh, posing these questions of consumerism about this inequality about you know mm-hmm. all that really curious of that: yeah,
1: for sure for sure, for sure, man. I mean I you know I think it for me, it's a perfect marriage of two aspects of my personality. Um, I'm a Gemini for anybody that cares out there, um, and you know so we're known for a certain sense of duality, as some would say. so I think for me, um, I've always been someone who questioned. Uh, question society or question tradition or even question religion. And I've always been that type, but also was a kid that grew up in the 90s, you know, in a classic cartoon age and era, you know, even till, still to this day, man, I, you can catch me. If you find me watching anything, I'm probably watching a cartoon. I'm probably watching the animation. I'm probably watching some anime because to me, it's the color, You know, it's the action, it's the creativity, it's the skill set that I'm drawn to. Um, So I think, you know, this sense of coming from that era, coming from the 90s, you know, marketing, advertisement, boom, right? You know, capitalism, uh, consumerism, uh, great economics, you know, economic boom, you know, Clinton years, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, there's just... There's a, there's a lot of American pride at the time, right? You know what I mean? There's a lot of just this sense of, uh, you know, U.S. booming ideology. This this almost like, uh, you know, beyond patriotism, almost like nationalism now. And so, you know, I grew up in that. And, and that was my experience, man. And, and I grew up in this very hyper-capitalistic society in time and era where, you know, it almost seemed like, the biggest headline was, uh, you know, infidelity happening in the White House. You know, that was it. You know what I mean? Like, or or a highway chase or something like that. Like, it wasn't a global pandemic. It wasn't a global war, you know. So anyway, you know, we, we, I lived through that and I had that. So I think for me, I grew up really appreciating aesthetic and color and vibrancy. And I think for me, also a big thing of it for me is iconography, right? Uh, Populism, you know, uh, that to me is really where the, the, the real magic is, because I can take these items that a lot of people know what everybody knows, and I get to essentially galvanize them, I get to remix them, I get to Use these this imagery that people know very well and are familiar with to grab their attention, right? Because they know this. Oh, I know what that is. I've seen that before. I I can pinpoint that, right? It it allows the viewer to do something that they oftentimes can't do in art, which is connect with the art. Sometimes artists make work that's so ambiguous or so abstract or so personal that it leaves the viewer out unless they really care to go in and to go there. And some do, and that's great. And you know, we need all we need all variations of art, right? So, you know, that's not to say one is better than the other at all. But, you know, I think what my work does is it allows people to feel very comfortable sitting in front of it. And they don't have to question their knowledge of art or art history or their, their knowledge of uh, craftsmanship or creativity they get to stand in front of something that they know and that they can recognize and that they may even have a connection to you know um, and allows them to have that moment with the work and then once I capture that attention I then use the concept I use the cutouts I use texture text the numbers the dates the symbolism to convey a message once i have that attention you know um so you know for me it is it is a lot of the iconography it is a lot of the populism it is also about consumerism for sure it is very much so specifically about us culture but the thing is our influence is so wide That there's times when I take on various other cultures or languages or things like that. And people often ask me, they're like, yo, what do you know about this? Or or, what is the connection between this and this? You know, this is one culture and, and this is a different culture. And one thing I often have to remind people is that, you know, we grew up or I grew up in a country that was known as the melting pot. You know, I grew up around so many different variations of people, of cultures, of traditions, of ways of life. You know, and these people were not just individuals. These people were my neighbors. These people were my countrymen and women. These people were also Americans. These are people who I shared citizenship with. And they just so happened, right, to speak a different language. Or their origin started in a different country. But they were just as American as... I, you know, had a social security number and everything, you know. So part of me also really enjoys not just telling my own story from an American point of view, but from those around me that I love and care for who also have a history with this country. And but we're not given and blessed the same platform that I have. So I then feel to some degree responsible to make my work. And I've always felt this way. But to make my work larger than me, you know, I'm always in the work. Right. Because the work is talking about U.S. Western culture, U.S., you know, the Western canon. So I'm always going to be involved. There's no way for me to not talk about U.S. history and for me not to be involved. Those two things are, you know, one and the same. Right. I just choose often to not speak specifically on me, on my situation, on my heritage, on my, you know, because that's just my decision in my work. I feel like my work has the capability to be more broad than in that and more inclusive in that way where I can respectfully, you know, with the permission, with the acknowledgement, with the research, with um, with the. You know, the all out know how to have these conversations that, you know, involve me, involve my family, involve my friends, involve my neighbors, involve, you know, my countrymen and women, you know, it gives me that. So I really try to take both and, and bring them together, um, and use these symbols and use these, these, uh, iconic images to really Expand on what they mean and what they can mean.
0: So, so it also goes hand in hand with, like, the nonprofit that you're doing, right? You have you, to basically you you build yourself a platform, and now you feel like you need to build, you know, another platform for people who are in need of, you know, financial literacy to to stop being getting ripped off by capitalism, and that's mm-hmm. yeah. You know, the, the you mentioned like artist's responsibility right do 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 you feel mm-hmm. i i don't think all artists feel the same way um do, do you think that's that partly comes from like your upbringing
1: yeah 100% 100% and, and and let me you know let me definitely make that statement that i don't feel that i don't feel like all artists have to put that amount of responsibility on their back for sure you know i don't i remember having a critique <laughs> uh at my time at Yale, and I had a um individual and they they had told me in the middle of a critique that my work then like I had a sense of responsibility in my work to to expand on the conversation and to expand on you know, the, the concept and essentially asked me, so what now? You know, where do we go now? What do we do now? Now that we know this, what do we do? Now, with that particular work, um, I didn't feel that way about because that particular work, I felt it was very personal, right? So I feel like you can make work that is responsible and that you can put a certain culture or tradition on your back, people on your back and be that. But I don't feel like you have to be pigeonholed Into only ever making work like that. You know, for me, that particular work that we were critiquing was a very personal body of work that explained, like, you know, my connection, my connection with my family, my connection with my loved ones. So, in that work, I didn't feel that. But outside of that, I do kind of, to some degree, um, understand the concept of pushing the conversation. Um, and once again, I think it, it depends on who you are, depends on your situation. Me, I was in 95 percent of my class at the SEIC, I was the only uh, black person. And 98 percent of my class of SCIC, SEIC, I was the only black male. At Yale University, I was the only black male in my entire class of over 20 students. So I can't help but to see this extreme kind of, you know advantage, disadvantage type of reality that Mm -hmm. I'm living and see that there's that very few people coming from where I come from Mm -hmm. that look like me or given this opportunity. So for me, from a very personal perspective, it is important for me to have a conversation where we expand on something. But I, for the record, I do not believe that every artist should or needs to put that level of responsibility on their back. Um, I don't believe that's the, for everyone, that's the point of art. You know, art is exactly what you make it and it's exactly what you want to do and for your reasons, you know? So um, I just personally do, I choose to, push a conversation and a, a concept and you know go about it in that way specifically because of my own personal background
0: and I respect that yeah it's an upbringing I think it's you being you and being in you know elite schools and seeing what's going on it's just the waste it's just unavoidable almost you know because you yeah, are sure. given that opportunity <laughs> it's
1: like yeah it's yeah yeah, I I agree, man. I agree, but I'm I'm you know, it, it it helped me. I think to your point you made earlier, it helped me really consistently be grateful and consistently be present and consistently be you know it's it's like this is the thing. Either you're going to survive a hurricane, you're going to survive a tornado, you're going to survive a life threatening, life altering, culture shock type of experience, and either you're going to adapt and be better, or you're gonna let it mess with you and hinder you for the rest of your life, you know? And the decision is yours, you know? We have to, in our lives, regardless of the situation, regardless of what deck we're given, regardless of what destiny or preconceived destiny we have, we all have to take accountability for our actions and lack thereof. You know, once we start doing that as a people, as a human race, uh, you know, things will get better and people will be happier, I believe.
0: I definitely agree with that. Um, Yeah, let's move on to something that's more chill. Let's talk about uh, what you're doing right now. Like what you're doing, any um, (laughs) plans, you know, any upcoming projects or exhibitions, anything you're working on right now that's, you know, excited that you're excited to share, share with us.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I'm um so I just moved into my new studio, uh oh, man, like a couple of days ago. Honestly, I'm literally rearranging, organizing, decorating. Um, but very happy, very happy with the space, very happy with the upgrade. Um, so it's it's gonna give me an opportunity to produce on a level that I've never really produced before. Uh, when I first came back grad school i kind of gave painting a a break not gonna lie you know because i had spent two very intense years at yale painting and producing uh some of my greatest arguably probably my greatest body of work to date um and which i still haven't like really promoted or talked about or you know shown anywhere i don't think it's on my website either Uh, i couldn't find them yeah right yeah Nah, nah, they're gonna, not, not, you know me, the rollout is gonna be, the rollout is gonna be serious. So, um, so I think, you know, I, I gave it a break for a while and I really, uh, started and I started and finished a few of my, uh, uh, 3D sculptures, some of the, um, you know, the diamond covered pieces, uh, the Pave style work of art. Uh, where I completely encapsulate, you know, work in, in, in diamonds. So I really just kind of focused on that for a while um, and kind of reinvented that, kind of found new styles, new techniques, new ways of doing things so I could do them. My whole thing, man, this past couple of years has been how to do things faster. You know, how to, that level of craftsmanship and perfectionism comes at a cost and that cost is usually time. So I've been really focused on trying to make sure I can Uh, compartmentalize I can you know uh, deduct time from here save time here so I've gotten to a point specifically with those pieces where I've learned to produce them quick Um, so within the next you know before the end of the summer or by by the summertime I'll have uh, not one not two but three new diamond pieces that I'll be uh, exploring and then of course with the paintings and things like that so um as far as exhibitions things like that you know a lot of conversation a lot of conversations on that on the west coast with LA of course um i'm heading to paris relatively soon um to have a few conversations out there have a few meetings out there um you know chicago is always showing love you know so there's a lot planning going on but i think right now i'm just really because of my intense experience with undergrad, six years, I was in SSE for six years, bro, and then went straight, like you said earlier, from undergrad to grad. You know, so two years. So I spent eight eight long years in uh, academia, you know, and having them control my life and things of that nature. So, you know, I'm I'm really kind of wanting to explore this freedom that I have now, uh, and. You know, and you know, shop around. I'm not someone who believes that you should necessarily immediately get out of grad school and then sign up with a gallery. You know, I'm I'm enjoying moving around. I'm enjoying making connections. I'm enjoying shaking hands, um, networking. You know, I'm enjoying the process. You know, I don't I don't personally believe that there's a rush for me to have my first this or have my first that or you know make this happen to make that happen. Um, I think one thing that I really understood when I was at Yale specifically, this is something that all artists, all artists we have to come to grips with is when we truly understand the art world and we understand that there's, there's highs and lows for everybody, you know, and a lot of those highs and lows are dependent upon what's hot in the art world at that moment in time. You know, it doesn't mean your work is any less, desirable, doesn't mean your work is any less this and that, you know, you might find your market overseas at a particular time, you know, more than you would, you know, where you are. So I think for me, um, you know, I just really kind of saw the art world for what it is and understood it. And I decided to really make sure personally, and this is one thing I, I said when I was at Yale, make sure that my artwork was never my main and only source of income. You know, I never want to be beholden to. I never want to be bald and chained to the art world in that way where I start to sacrifice my vision and my concept because I need to pay my mortgage because I need to pay. You know what I mean? Like I never want to be in that position. So for me, partly what I'm doing, which is like you said, at the uh, beginning of the podcast, you know, I'm essentially diversify my portfolio, you know, being an entrepreneur, being a business owner, uh, you know, getting into real estate. You know, I, I firmly believe in multiple streams of income. Um, and that way, you know, I can always really produce the work that I want to produce and not have to do with so many artists before us, as you and I both know, so many artists before us has have had to uh, sacrifice you know, their vision and sacrifice their work just so that they could pay their rent. And I personally never want to be there. So for me, a lot of this time post-Yale is just me decompressing the past eight years of my life. um, While at the same time, really laying the bricks today for tomorrow so that I can continue to produce the work that I want at the rate that I want to produce it, at the cost that I want to produce it. You know, really, for me, it's really about freedom. And I think that's what it's really about for all of us, right? Especially artists. We, you know, I, I do this for the closest sense of freedom that I can possibly reach in my life and my existence while I'm here. So, you know, if that means then that I'm not the art darling of the art world with a capital a and i'm not bending over backwards and i'm not producing work for this biennial and this show and this exhibition and this group so like if that means that i can essentially do these things um to some degree on my own time for the moment then i'll take that you know i'll I'll take the time to just really learn and decompress like i said what i've experience these years and really be able to apply it to my work now and going on to the future I can't lie brother I came back from that experience and i I threw away half of my collection and then decided to redo the other half you know so I'm in a position now where I don't know if you remember remember those media the the multimedia pieces I did with the different color blocks
0: no no not really because <laughs> you've yeah I've seen <laughs> Yeah, no,
1: I I, got, I took I took them up to SASC a few times. I don't think you actually. I don't think you have seen. Yeah, them. I don't you think I I've seen them. about that. Yeah. But but I took those pieces and completely trashed them, and now I'm going to redo them. You know, and we're talking about three like huge works, right? You know what I mean? So so a lot of this, man, a lot of this for me is this really the constant ev- evolution that we all have as artists that we all kind of should have as artists where we you know, we, we get to a point where we reach a new level, you know, we reach a new goal and I think, obviously, after that experience, you know, it'll be a waste of an experience to say that I went through that and didn't feel that way, you know, so I just really am embracing man, um, you know, like I said, taking it all in, you know, I do have some, definitely some, some dope and exciting things coming up but, you know, I'm, I'm more sort of type to kind of talk about it, you know, after it's said and done, you know what I'm saying, I don't want to Uh, that's for the next podcast exactly brother exactly for the next podcast but I'll say this this is the last little jewel I'll say Um, I am putting together a project that may forever change and redesign the Chicago flag so that's something that I'm, I'm you know right here right now it's the first time I really said it out loud so I want to speak it into fruition, just like I did. I'm not going to lie, but I did the same thing with Yale. I, I was told people I was accepted to that school years before I was accepted to that school. So sometimes you got to speak things into, you know, into, into existence, right? Um, but that's something that is a project that is coming up for me that is true and dear to my heart, you know, because... Uh, Chicago has given me so much. So, I want to really give the city something, especially before I, you know, kind of, you know, somewhat leave and go back to California. Um, So, I I would love to give the city uh, something of that nature. So, you know, but I'll, uh, you know, I'm going to keep you up to date, brother. You already know. And like you said, you know, for the next podcast, we'll go from there.
0: Yeah. And uh, before we end today's podcast, I want to ask you just one more thing. Uh, is there anything <laughs> of great satisfaction that you want to share lately? It could be anything, like cook the nice meal. Anything you want to share with us?
1: Mmm, a great satisfaction.
0: Even the small thing.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, brother. Um, yeah, I, I, I built the table for my book collection for my new studio.
0: That's so wholesome.
1: Yeah, I built. No, yeah, <laughs> I built the. I'm actually. I'm. I'm gonna make two. I gotta make the second one tonight. or make it right now. Um, but I, yeah, I made a a a bookshelf, you know, which is um pretty pretty gnarly for me because I, you know, I get to see the, and I know I keep saying this, but see the the combination and and the the collective thought process of me manifesting my reality right now you know i get to see all these books right that you know uh is about art and art history and and design and influence and uh culture and then and i bought these books you know a decade ago so for me now to be in my own art studio and you know post undergrad postgraduate, and for me to see these books it gives me a sense of this is the path that i've always been on and I'm on the right
0: path, awesome wow that's a that's a great um yeah, that's a great 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 point for us to end. We've taken enough of your time. <laughs> it's like it's two thirty in Chicago uh mm-hmm. catching up more work, mm-hmm. I guess for you
1: absolutely, absolutely that doesn't doesn't stop man it doesn't stop. we got to get right back to it
0: <laughs> i can't I can't express how much i I appreciate this. And I really enjoyed this conversation and, um, and I'm sure our listeners will too. And I'm excited to show everyone this, this podcast and can't wait for it to go into production. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh,
1: thank you, brother. I, think I appreciate you. This has been amazing. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you.